This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Anishinaabeg and the Haudenosaunee people. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people on this land. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather in this territory, even virtually, and to be in this community. We commit ourselves to the work of reconciliation among settlers and Indigenous peoples, and we acknowledge that not all settlers were brought here by choice. Through this land acknowledgement, our intent is to honor and show gratitude to the original and ongoing stewards of the land as a sign of respect and willingness to learn and heal. We are mindful of broken covenants and the need to reconcile with all our relations. Together, may we care for this land and each other, drawing on the strength of our mutual history of nation building through peace and friendship, being mindful of the ancestors and generations to come. Welcome to The Intersection, where we are building community through candid conversations that lift, inspire, and advance social change. How does power show up in your work and in your life? Do you benefit from the power and privilege you carry, or are you constantly striving to find your feet? Do power dynamics show up in ways that you can predict? And what do you do when you're sideswiped with a surprisingly quick loss of power? This week in The Hub, my co-host Jen Love and I, Kimberly McKenzie, have a chance to sit down with Amanda Baca. We have a rich and deep conversation about the complexities of power and privilege. Amanda brings an extraordinary set of lived experiences as a self-described nexus, a single mother, a Latinx woman, and a fundraising executive. Amanda is currently working as Director of Development at the University of New Mexico Foundation. And I'm proud to also tell you that she is one of the co-hosts for the Intersections Women in the Hub events. We discuss power between philanthropists and organizations and recipients, prospects and fundraisers, government, corporations and non-governments, men and women, binary and non-binary individuals, and we also talk about power and pretty privilege, and Amanda is very open about how her privilege has helped her and harmed her during her career. As I was producing this episode, I was constantly blown away, so I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Let's get into it. I am so happy to have you both here today. Thank you so much for making time. My beautiful co-host, Jen Love. Hi. And Amanda Baca. Um, Let me just say, Amanda, how grateful I am for the internet and (laughs) the opportunity (laughs) to meet you and get to know you a, a little bit better. It's just been such a treat. So thank you for being here today. Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And Um, I think I've said this several times in our own private conversations, but I'm so, I don't know how we happened, how I happened upon you, but I'm so thankful that I did because it's been such a a tremendous experience and building community and um, just having friends. (laughs) Yeah, that's, it's one of the things about COVID, right? Is that it's, it really has blown up our networks and forced us into spaces that we might not otherwise be in. So Mm -hmm. Uh, we're here to talk about power in all sorts of ways in the charitable sector. And I can't wait to dig into that 
before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be in this space? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was 12 years old, I really fell in love with Bertolt Brecht and um, (laughs) the concept of educational theater and didactic theater and teaching people um, or creating change through theater. And so I got into theater. I have a dual BFA, one in technical theater design, one in dance, was really going to get into theater dramaturgy and history and teach. And um, as I was going through everything, I just wasn't making the impact that I really wanted to in the world. It wasn't working out according to my plans. Um, So I happened to be working at the University of Oregon doing theater audiovisual event-based work and was working with 31 different students. And they were tremendous individuals. And it just really took me back to my undergraduate experience. And I wouldn't have had that because I was born into a lower socioeconomic class. My parents couldn't send me to school and I went to school on full scholarship. And so that afforded me so many different opportunities and exposure to um, different ways of thinking that I don't think I would have had. I know that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't been able to go to school on scholarship. So um made the decision to do a, to make a change in my career and go into higher education development. And then I um, just further developed, got my master's in nonprofit management, focusing a lot on diversity, equity, and inclusion, because I think, you know, you put your money where your mouth is and you invest in the change that you want to see. And then I came back to higher education because I think it really does all come down to education and helping people understand that it isn't all about me and it's about a lot more than we see through media and really to just teach people to be curious. So that's why I do what I do. (laughs) (laughs) And for those who um, haven't seen the video, do you want to share how you identify? Certainly. Um, I am Wow. Okay. (laughs) So I identify as a mother, as a change agent, as a nexus, as a Latina woman. And um, today I identify as someone who is encouraging others to use their voice to speak out about power dynamics and really explore the concept of power and how that's really affecting you and others around you. Jen, I want to leave some space for you to jump in at any time. Um. I mean, I just think I'm I'm thrilled to be here and to connect with Amanda uh, in more detail about this issue, which I think goes up and down our charitable sector and also side to side. I mean, power shows up in lots of different relationships and in lots of different ways. And I think one of the things I'm really looking forward to and curious about digging into is around how does how do some of these things show up like and in ways that we sometimes don't expect you know i'm i'm a storyteller and a writer and so i try to get to the kind of heart of how and why things happen and i think power is one of those things that is almost like a mist or a fog like you don't it's hard to see when you're in it and then when you're out of it you're like oh that something happened there and i want to understand it so that i can predict or anticipate or even just understand my own feelings about what just happened. So I am excited to talk about how power shows up in ways that we 
can kind of plan for and predict and also in ways that we might not see until it's over and then be able to say, okay, wait a minute, what happened and how can I ask myself different questions or, or whatever that looks like. So that's what I'm looking forward to, to digging into from my perspective. Well, that, that moment where I've been in that moment a few times where you walk out of an interaction and I've come to realize, Oh, wait a second. I gave my power away. Why did I, why did I do that? And then there's shame <laughs> that follows, or is it just me? I don't know. Maybe it's just, no, me. I think, yeah, I think we all experience that, um, whether or not we want to admit that that's, a, that's another thing entirely. But I think there are several times when I've walked out of a situation and either felt very proud of myself for keeping that power and being strong and holding to that. And then there are times when you just feel deflated because you felt powerless and was it really, I let someone take my power or someone coerced it from me? Yes. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the different kinds of power. I mean, power can be a positive and a negative. It can be used for good or evil, right? And that there, I can't think of anywhere more real than the charitable sector where um, something positive, like the power that a development professional has to really influence change within their organization. That's power for good that probably a lot of fundraising professionals don't realize they carry. Um, but there's other kinds of power too, Amanda. What do you, what, what do you think? Yeah. So I think, you know, when we discuss and when, when I suggested that we speak about this topic, um, power and philanthropy, both they're a series or a sequence of behaviors, right? They're not a singular gift or a singular generous activity or a singer, single act of power. Um, it's a series. And I think those show up in both complex, very complex, formal and informal ways. So going back to what Jen said about the, the fog, I think there are so many informal power dynamics that you live in and don't recognize it until, again, you're like removed from the situation um, because we are maybe more accustomed to understanding formal dynamics. And um, not that we're even taught that those are the things, but they are ingrained in our society and our cultures. Um, And so when you're speaking about the philanthropic or the charitable sector, and I actually don't really necessarily like using charity because I think it has this, um, it takes power away from anyone that's benefiting from the charity. And I think in, in, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that everyone is going to get something from an act of charity or from a series of acts of charity, whether that's an altruistic feeling and feeling good, like you made a change or being actually like a benefactor of whatever the impact was, is, um, is something that we're all engaged in and same thing with power. Um, so all that to say, some of the ways in which I see this happening in the charitable or in the philanthropic center is um, I'll, I'll start with all four and then I think we'll, we'll kind of dig into it a little bit, but about power between the giver or the philanthropist and the organization that they're giving to and the recipient of that, of said gift or philanthropy, the power between the potential giver or the prospect and the fundraiser 
power dynamics between governments, corporations, and non-governmental organizations. And then because it plays in every single part of our lives, power dynamics between men and women and power dynamics between binary and non-binary identifying individuals. Mm. Okay. So we're basically going to do the rest of season two on power. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think one of the things that also has to be overlaid or we have to at least consider is that for the people who are tuning into this podcast and connecting with this conversation who are also working under a system of budgets and timelines that are defined by another organization, by their superiors, by their bosses, by their whatever, these power dynamics get really, it gets much more complicated when you're like, well, I'd like to spend some time unpacking some of what's going on here and understand what's happening. But I also have a budget and a timeline. And if I don't deliver on this stuff, not only is my job or my welfare or my family be able to feed my family at stake but so are the people that I'm serving Mm -hmm. so the charitable sector also fundamentally has a really big power issue around the fact that we demand and insist that our fundraisers do it do more with less all the time because what's on the line are education women's issues saving families in Ukraine today, you know, the the stakes are really high. And so I think we also, there's another whole overlay around a larger system in which we have to work as fundraisers and as change agents. That's extremely complicated from a power perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, if we start kind of from the larger perspective, talking about power net, power dynamics between governments, corporations, and non-governmental organizations, we really see that's that's going to be the top level, I think, of any sort of power dynamic that we're working with uh, within, within the, the philanthropic sector. Um, and that is very, like, the, the relationships that are happening, the partnerships that are forming are incredibly complex, full formal. If we take Ukraine as an example, and the relationship between just the US, Ukraine and Russia, how we had to put sanctions or we, we elected um, to enact these sanctions against Russia so that they can not raise more money. Um, that's a really complex relationship that we've formed and that is going to affect everybody from the top down. So um, we're going to see heightened gas prices. We're having to dip into reserves. And so that creates a lot of, one, it, not only does it have this, this effect on our own economic status and talk about power, right? Like money is power. And so I think that's why it's so um, powerful, hmm, no pun intended, to talk about it when you're talking about power and philanthropy. Um, but it's also going to affect people's mental health because how many, how much anxiety is created right now in the U.S. And we're not in the Ukraine. We're not dealing with that, with war, with being invaded right now. And so um, there's so many different aspects to how power affects everyone. And so, and it's, it's mostly based around money because whoever has the money has the power. Well, that, that. That is a global situation um, 
you know, we're up in Canada. I can't imagine what it would be like in Europe right now, but, but fluctuations in the market, let's take it away from the impending war that may or may not be resolved by this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully it will be, but, uh, but when there's a volatile marketplace like that, it does put more strain on the charitable sector, which then puts more pressure on us from a budget perspective because the need to serve is greater, the resources are lower, and then we're, we as a sector are walking around with our handout begging corporations and anybody else, you know, and then we get we can get to the point of compromising our values and our services and even our programs to pursue money. Absolutely. And that, that's something that was really important to uh, my educators at the University of Oregon. Big shout out to them because when we were speaking about philanthropy specifically, it was really important for them to impress on me and for me to impress on everyone else that I've ever worked with that you should never chase the dollar. Mm-hmm. It's about how is how can we create a partnership there? How can we create some sort of like symbiosis between matching a donor's interests and passions and their philanthropic dreams with the needs of the organization and the needs of the organization should always be to, um, to help benefit whomever their community, the the community that they're serving, whether that be through education or through um, poverty relief Mm -hmm. or, any any of the things that that we're really trying to create change for um yeah it's it's all very complex no it's so complex and yet it's not Mm. you know Mm -hmm. because because we talk about and we're going to get into gender and power um but we talk about as an organization um approaching it through the lens of this is who we are this is the problem we're trying to fix. Do you want to be a part of that problem or should I talk to somebody else? It's an opportunity. Yeah. It's not an obligation. It's, it's, it's an opportunity. And, and it's, it really does speak to the poverty mindset that many organizations um, manage themselves with. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, when we're working out of, and, you know, we're going to get a little bit into kind of, the psyche of it, but when you're working from a fear-based perspective, I think that that empowers people even more or enables people, I should say, enables the individuals that maybe we're, we're speaking with the prospects or the, or the current donors, um, to have, to hold that power over us. Because again, like, as you said, we're, you know, holding our hands out and kind of begging for assistance. And, um, that's one of the reasons I don't actually like to use the word charity because it comes from the alms. Jen, did you um, jump in there with something? I think you had something. Well, I was going to say that I do think that this it ties back to what, and this is sort of one of these infinite loops, but I think this does also tie back to the reality of um, facing budgets and timelines that are set by somebody else. And this is a gendered issue as well. I mean, we know that in most cases, the executives for most of our organizations, whether they're CEOs, leadership, or boards and volunteers, tend to skew towards white and male. 
And then the people who are implementing the work tend to not look as much like that. And so there comes this place of sort of like, okay, well, I know I need to do these things, but I'm also prioritizing my budget and my timeline versus can I, do I have the, the time and the energy to find the right donor for this project? And if I have to mission drift a little bit to get this donor on board, then maybe I'll do that because my timelines and my budget are unreasonable versus a more, you know, we we're talking about a poverty mindset or a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset of there are people in our communities who want to support us and with whom our values align, even if it takes a week into the new fiscal year or six months into the new fiscal year, isn't that worth it to explore as opposed to get what we can today, even if it's empty or vacuous by the end of it. So I think, I mean, all of these things are so, and this is why power is so interconnected because if your job is to deliver your budget, that's different than delivering the dream of your charity. Mm -hmm. And the people who are faced with that, you know, potentially violent or catastrophic outcome of you didn't meet your budget, therefore you're fired, you're on, you give a note in your record, whatever it is, those are different dynamics at play. And I think it gets very complicated for people to be able to say, here's where my values lie and I want to do it this way, but I also have a weapon to my head to say I need to do it by March 31st, which is entirely complicated and arbitrary, but also it's a system in which we all participate. And this is like the same as patriarchy. We may want, we may, we may able to identify why a patriarchal structure is complicated, but it is a system in which we all participate. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so when we bend our values to get that donation in the door before the end of the fiscal year, we're contributing to the same system, whether we, whether it aligns with our values and purpose or not. And it gets very complicated for people. And I think that for most fundraisers, building their own self-awareness to be able to say, I'm doing this because I have to versus I'm doing this because I want to, and I can compartmentalize the parts that I don't really feel connected to, but know I need to do. It gets very complicated and it's hard to unstitch when you're in the throes of budgets and timelines that have been determined by someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'd really like to speak to the, the, well, to almost everything that you said. Um, but when you're thinking about sustainability, we, we don't look at things from a sustainability perspective. And I think that that's really something that is, that's not our first, that's not our go-to. We look at, as you said, like the fiscal year, can I get this gift in by this time? Because I have these metrics. I have these metrics that I have to hit. Mm -hmm. Would I like to, you know, do better, do more work more sustainably and, and into the future? Absolutely. But those things are sometimes really in conflict, just like as you're trying to meet those metrics, you know, how many of us have been in a, in a, a meeting or in one of the a donor fundraiser relationship where you really just core values are absolutely opposite, but as a fundraiser, you really have to swallow that and remind yourself, what is my purpose right now? And the purpose is often short-sighted. My purpose is to make sure that I can match your philanthropic interests and passions with the needs of the organization. And that's, that's finite and that's it right now. And, you know, I think because of that, there are a lot of things that 
are perpetuated because uh, a divide is already there. We see the divide. We have to be aware of that. And we give the, uh, the giver, the potential giver, the power to express their um, values, interests, beliefs, views. And we're not really allowed to do that in a way that is genuine. Okay. So much to say about that, but one tiny little housekeeping thing is when you lifted up both of your hands, your sound got so much better. So, um, no, it's Amanda. So just, you know, whatever you did there, keep doing that. Keep talking with your hands, I guess. Okay. Is this, is this better or is it really, this is like a stick up. (laughs) Well, I'm thinking I'm very expressive. Um, I'm wondering if it's actually my furnace. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, when, when we, have Rob, we have a Rob and he'll <laughs> with, um, with the sound when he moves into production. So I want to get, I want to just drop a truth bomb. Uh, we're talking about values and the things we need to do to get a gift. And you're a very beautiful woman. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for yeah. saying that. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I'll, like, I'll say it. I'll say us, it. I, tell us a time. Tell us a time. How, you so, know, how, okay. I'll, I'll find one time. I'll find one time when I was very early in my career and I wasn't a development officer, but I was assisting or um, I was the admin and coordinator for a DO and I coordinated for the whole office. So I was doing a tremendous amount of work. Um, but when we talk about power dynamics, I think there's something that nobody really wants to bring up. And that's, that's pretty privileged because if you bring it up, like the, the people that should be bringing it up should, I don't like to shit on myself, but, um, you know, are the people that are, that have that privilege and see the benefits of it. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that I think I am so successful upon first appearance I'm really nice to look at. And I wasn't always that way. You know, I really grew into myself and I'm very grateful for that Mm -hmm. um, on both, both ends of the spectrum, because I didn't experience that for a really long time. And so I didn't have that privilege and that power before, and now I do. And so hopefully it can take that and use it for good. Right. But there you're going to be more successful. We see that there's data out there. I don't, I can't cite any of it, but there's data that says, if you're more attractive, you're going to be more successful. You're going to earn more. And, um, you know, that's outside, that's like anomalous from all of the other factors that go into what's going to determine success and, and, um, money-making ability, but it's a factor. And I think we really need to talk about it because if I didn't look the way that I do, um, would I be as successful as I am, especially coming from a different career, especially coming from a lower socioeconomic background and not being able to, um, talk the talk with people that actually have money. It's very interesting. And there's a, it's a really interesting dynamic to be in the room and hear people that grew up, um, affluent who are in a position as a fundraiser and, you know, talking to people that have money and asking for a gift. There's so much more confidence in just asking for the gift. For me, I feel like I have to really explain the program under really, really um, be able to express the need and communicate in a way that I think is compensatory rather to um, 
to just asking for the gift and seeing what they say. I just don't think that there's that confidence. But so it works both ways. What you're saying is yeah. that you you feel uh, an additional obligation to make sure that your language is tight because you don't want to be seen as, oh, here they've brought in this beautiful person to wow me. But so that works both ways, right? Yeah. Yeah, That's absolutely. So interesting, Amanda. Yeah, no, I think I have to really oh, go ahead, Kimberly. Well, it's just you have, I think you might have, I think that I think you might have been going here anyway, but you have to work extra hard to prove how smart you are instead of just being smart. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, there's this double edged sword with with that privilege. And, you know, I can't really speak to any other privileges that I think people have um, when it comes to fundraising other than that. But I do, I have to work twice as hard to make sure that I'm articulate, um, especially now that I'm working in healthcare. I, I don't have a healthcare background. So I have been just busting my ass trying to learn how to speak, what the nomenclature is, what the culture is, so that I can really speak to the people that were exposed to this and have a healthcare background. Um, and speak with the people that, you know, I'm working with on faculty so that they also see that I add value and I'm not just some pretty face because I can tell you I've had some experiences with really brilliant women faculty that are in, in leadership positions and they really wrote me off. Mm-hmm. And so you're, it's, it sucks. It sucks because you're like, all I want to do is do my job and do it well. And I need you to give me that opportunity. And it it works both ways. It's a lot easier with men sometimes, but I have to be twice as smart. And so, I mean, and in addition to that, you know, I don't want to leave the impression that you're sitting here complaining about how beautiful you are. Because no, certainly not. You know? <laughs> no, certainly not. No, again, I know I, I understand the privilege that I have and the power that that brings. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for that. And again, it's really important to me to make sure that I'm using that power and privilege for a good for a good purpose and creating that impact. Um, and I think, you know, when we're talking, Jen, you keep talking about the system that we're we're in and we're a part of and we participate in, and we have to be aware of not only the systems, but the roles that we play within them. Yes. And I think that goes for both men and women. And I think women are potentially, you know, my observation and my experience is that women have to be so much more aware because we don't have the power and we have to be so much smarter and more strategic about the ways in which we participate to get to a desired outcome. I've said this before on the podcast back when I was uh, an exec, well, anytime I've been working with boards for my entire career, um, earlier on, someone advised me to wear a skirt to board meetings so that I was more influential. And so what I wore to board meetings was a big deal. Yeah, no, and I think... um... Yeah, to just kind of add on to that, you when we came on because we're recording via Zoom, but um, you were like, "Oh my gosh, you're you know you look great today," and I was like, "Oh yeah," because I have a meeting with a donor, and it's really important how I present myself. So, um, and then of course, I know any, no one can see me, but there's kind of this androgynous thing that's going on. I'm wearing a, a suit jacket, but I'm wearing curls. I made sure to do my hair and makeup, um, but 
it's not really like frilly or or anything like that there i have i feel like there's this constant balance and i think that maybe you know that's something that women have to consider especially if if they I, I, I don't even think, especially, I think that's something that we have to consider all the time. Um, and I think that that power dynamic, you know, is, is something that is, should be addressed. I don't know how many women that I work with, um, where we said that just straight up to each other, would we say it to one of the men in power? Mm-hmm. I think some of us will, you know, when we have enough tenure, um, and enough credibility, but, it's real. I don't feel like I can show up to work if I am not wearing makeup. I think it would be looked down upon. Um, I don't think I can wear some of the stuff that the men wear to work. Like, I don't think I could just show up in a vest and, and some hiking pants and it'd be okay. Um, so those power dynamics show up not only in the workplace where we have the, the leadership in the specific organization, which yes, are still typically white male, um, more affluent. That's, that's who we see in those positions of power. Um, and we see a large subset of women fundraisers that are doing this because we're compassionate. We're the softer ones. We can, you know, really be, uh, what, what, you know, I think curious chameleons, um, and kind of, shift and change according to what the situation calls for. Um, But also when we are getting really down to it, there's a huge power dynamic between a male donor or a male prospect and a female fundraiser. Mm -hmm. And uh, going back to the, the (laughs) tell us about a time. I was okay. Yeah. Okay. Go tell us about a time. Okay. Okay. Tell us about a time. Um, Really young in my career, not a development officer, my development officer who is a woman asked me to come along to this meeting. It was happy hour. That was an extended happy hour. I fortunately had some really good friends that understood the dynamic there and came back to the happy hour and were like, we got to go. We have plans and really saved me because I could not one extract myself from that situation because I was still very young in my career my boss was who pulled me into the situation and talk about a power dynamic there where I'm like, if I leave, do I get fired? I'm a single mom. I'm the one who's responsible for making sure that I can put food on the table for my child and myself. Um, and then the power dynamic between the men, they were very brazen. Like what stopped them from hitting on me from making inappropriate comments, nothing, nothing did because I I did not have any power in that situation. And, you know, fortunately, again, like I had friends that kind of were able to extract me from that and they gave me my power back once I left, but it was, it was a really unfortunate, uncomfortable, inappropriate experience. And I know I'm not the first person to ever experience something like that. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, so I've been there. I'm sorry that happened. I'm sorry it continues to happen. I'm sorry it happened to you and the apologetic Canadian. Sorry for the <laughs> other people who are watching for whom this is an experience. But it, Amanda, I, I really, I'm fascinated by part of what you're talking about because it is a snake eating its own tail. You, you can't be taken seriously unless you look and dress and participate in a certain way. But then when you look and dress and participate in a certain way, then you open up other 
opportunities for criticism. I mean, it's, 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 it's a sucker's choice. You either show up the way you want to show up and are criticized or judged for that, or you show up the way you're expected to show up. And then there's downstream implications for that as well. And it really yeah. is mm-hmm. a snake yeah. in its own tail. So yeah. with, respect to that, with respect to that, while you were, while you were talking about um, what to wear, I'm just going to back up just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. the, and, and I want to point, you both uh, pointed out to bo- both of you, but also to people who are listening, that the episode um, with Janet Cobb about profession, what does professional look like? Uh, is really worth going back and listening to because it um, speaks not you, you were speaking about the pearls and what we wear and that it wouldn't be acceptable for you to show up without makeup on at work. Um, and she has biracial boys who can't wear hoodies and they have mm-hmm. to really hard to um, present themselves in a very professional way. Uh, so she just wears hoodies all the time. She's like, I don't, I don't care. My, you know, I'm I'm wearing a hoodie to work. This is, this is me. But part of that, I think part of that starts to come. And I don't know what your experience is, Jen. I'm, I'm 53 years old today. Um, So when I was, not today, it's not my birthday. I was like, what? (laughs) No, no, but in this moment, because this is going to be on the internet for all of eternity in this moment, I'm 53. And, um, and when I was 38, this was a much bigger deal to me. You know, I am just now starting to get comfortable with the fact that I'm not going to dye my hair anymore, that my hair is going to look as old as my skin and, and, and that I'm going to take care of myself. But I've lived an entire career um, putting makeup on at four o'clock in the morning because I had to be on the five o'clock train. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the amount of time and energy and effort it takes to look professional um, speaks to that power dynamic. I think. Yeah. And let's talk about the philanthropists. Let's go there now. Donor dominance. Let's do it. Uh, we taught, we, we taught, we started to head down that road. I just wanted to make that comment about the hoodie, but um, I've been there too. I remember one donor, it was my job to keep rapport with that guy. And every time I went in for a cheek kiss, he turned his head. And oh, gross. And it just, is just like, so gross. So gross. Um, yeah. And, and that's something that is still, I mean, that's, that's sexual assault. And I, I want to call, I want to call things out for what they are. And those are things that we're still having to contend with in this day and age. It, it hasn't been that long. And I think, you know, we, we have this concept of where we would like things to be and where we think they are and where they actually are. And And we're still really, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's not just that is a horrible thing that no one should have to deal with men or women. And I, but the fact is that women are the the recipients of that kind of abuse and we need to address that. Um, And, you know, I think anyone that is outside of a position of power um, when it comes to being in any sort of meeting interaction with, um, with a philanthropist, there has to be some sort of check and balance there because that person that doesn't have the power 
what are they going to do? Um, I had an inter- in a very interesting engagement with a donor for an organization that I used to work with. And they gave a gift. I wrote back about the impact of the gift because I think it's incredibly important to share with anybody what their impact, like what they're giving is creating. That's how we're going to actually create change by using this money and using philanthropy to to create this impact. Um, But that person, it seemed seemingly really felt that the person who received the gift from them or the impact of that gift, because they gave us money. We ended up doing this thing for the family and, um, she felt entitled to ask for posed photos of this person. She wanted to have a sense of ownership over the person. And I don't think that it was ever an intentional or Like she was cognizant that that was what was going on, but, um, you know, it's, it's something that I think is really real and that we are kind of placed in, or maybe I put myself there and I'm okay with that, but being in the middle there and having to kind of mitigate those kinds of abuses of power where you have to be the person to not protect, but. I don't know, I think, um, create boundaries for a person who, or, or, you know, a group of people who can't create the boundaries for themselves, because there is also culturally like this sense of, of owing someone something when they did something good for you. And, um, you know, I think that's this whole other aspect of philanthropy that we get into. Um, but I think it's really important for individuals, especially people in power to understand that just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Right. Right. And, and as you were talking there, um, it made me think of large gifts uh, and gift agreements and the tension point around things like morality clauses, Mm -hmm. negotiating um, recognition in for a limited amount of time rather than in perpetuity and uh, gifts like Epstein gifts, the Sackler family, Bill Cosby, you know, yeah, all of these multi-million dollar gifts. And I was hearing from a former client just yesterday about a, a half a million dollar gift and their refusal to sign an agreement with a morality clause in it, but they need the money. Wow. <laughs> well, and I think there's I also, not... so I was just going to say that I think like not only, and this is one of the, this is one of the ways in which this is layered sideways and up and down because not only are in the moment when you have a budget guillotine over your head and you have a boss that's, that's bothering you about your end of your targets you make decisions that you have to make in the moment, but then you're also creating a start as you mean to go on philosophy. So we talked a little bit about not only with donors, but with prospects and future donors. If you create this expectation that when you create a new bursary for the university or create a new wing for the hospital, you'll have access to these people and you'll be able to fill your cup with their need 
that you resolved, I think is a race to the bottom for fundraisers and for charities. And then when you take it out of the major gifts and the one-to-one donor relationships and we get into annual giving and annual giving storytelling, which is what I do, mm-hmm. we also get into this kind of poverty porn situation where yes. we, we need to show the most compromised, complicated people in order, right? And it gets very layered and complicated and confusing because if you do it once, then it's sort of like, oh, well, the, the precedent That's exists. Yeah. Absolutely. So just do that again. You did, you, you did it last month, Amanda, what's changed. And you're sort of like, I compromised my values and I felt terrible about it and I don't want to do that, but okay. You know, and yeah. then it be, is a real race to the bottom around all of those layered power issues that you find yourself being able to say, well, I did it. Yes. And I felt terrible about it. And you don't know that I was up all night and I talked to my friends and I, had this these conversations with my the, my trust people and now I'm here and I'm faced with it again because it worked you know like yikes such yeah. a yikes yeah I mean and I think you know if we go I really want to connect the dots between what you just said about the donor or potential donor and the fundraiser but I think those that really goes hand in hand too with the power dynamics within an organization, because I know I have experienced, like it's so important for me to show up and do a really good job, not just because that's who I am, like to my core, I really want to be effective. I want to be productive. And I've had one of my ex-boyfriends, God bless him, because he said, your, your worth is not defined by your productivity. And that really stuck with me. And I, but I still have to remind myself of it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you show up to a job, especially a new position, and you just really want to prove yourself. And so you're busting your ass, you're working 60 to 80 hours. And the boundaries are very porous at that point. And so when you try to set a boundary, that's not allowed anymore. You've already set the precedent and regardless of whether that's a reasonable boundary or not, there's pushback. Mm. And ironically, it's usually because you're pushing back and there's a real problem with that because we're taught that we're not allowed to have boundaries. And I think with women, that's something that is is um, a little bit more insidious and implied than we maybe want to acknowledge, but I think that that's something that is really important to consider is you the organization is made up of individual employees and in a variety of different scales of uh, of power, right? Or levels of power based on where you fall on the organizational chart because no organizational chart will ever be flat. So when you have these power dynamics, like how does that affect not only men and women differently, but how does that affect, and, and we keep saying men and women, but I really want to also, I think, you know, we're talking about women in the hub. And so that's a big focus for, for me right now, but I really want to ensure that we are being inclusive because people that don't fall into the binaries in, into a binary um, identity are really getting it worse. And, and I want to acknowledge that. And yeah, just, the intersectionality of that is massive. For yeah, sure, absolutely. Amanda. Um, but but for the, the point of women in the hub, I'll just focus on women. 
But um, how is that affecting us? And, and how many people actually feel comfortable speaking up, especially if they haven't been there for a very long time, if they're a woman, if they came from a really small town, like not a lower socioeconomic background, and already feel this obligation to perform not only for themselves, for their families, for their communities, for where they came from, and also just prove that they, they earned it by themselves. And then you throw in pretty privilege on top of that. So, you know, there's, there's just so, there's so many complex layers um, to power and what that looks like. And we, we live in it, we participate in it, but are we aware of it? One of the things I always find myself saying when I talk about sort of, and it's not necessarily a power issue, but it's often a how we show up to fundraising issue is there's a Canadian fundraiser named Chris Bayless, who's fabulous. And one of the things that he says is fundraising is a pie eating contest where the prize is more pie. So (laughs) when you turn yourself inside out and work all the time and achieve these totally unreasonable expectations, mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, great, you're capable and confident. Now do that again. And do it do again it and do it better. And, I, and I'm going to add to your targets. And it takes, it takes a tremendous amount of experience and time, which most young fundraisers don't have, to be able to say, wait a minute, this is a boundary issue. I, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. indefinitely this is not sustainable for me this is not sustainable for our department this is not sustainable for our charity so if your expectations continue to be built on me sacrificing my own values or my own purpose or my own morals to achieve it that's a problem yeah but because of this layered power dynamics it's much harder to say and i quit because we have mouths to feed and mortgages to pay and considerations that make it very hard to set boundaries that can allow us to live our values, but also allow us to achieve the ambitions of our charities. And it's extremely complicated and power plays in every single one of those little micro decisions, like microaggressions, they're tiny and they build up. I'm mindful of someone who may be listening to this, who is, you know, turning themselves inside out and doesn't know how to uh, set those boundaries around their job. Um, And I think there's a way I, I know because I've done it, there's a way to do this without sounding like a boundary bully. You know, there is a way to, first of all, when you work, 60, 70 hours a week to deliver what's being asked of you in your organization. Not only are you causing yourself harm, but you're actually causing the organization harm because they think that that's what they can expect from people going forward. And so anybody else who comes into that position is not going to be able to live up to the expectations. So it's really important, not just for ourselves, but for our organization to say, look, there's so much time in the week this is how much you're paying me for. This is what you've asked me to do. Of all of these things that you've asked me to do, 75% of them can fit into this structure that we have. Uh, so of what 25% of these things do you want me to not do? Yeah. You decide, but I can't do 100% of them. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Um, I think it's interesting too, because when you're saying you decide, you're giving them the power and there's not this collaborative process where you're coming together because, you know, I, I will say that anyone that in, in any of my organizations that I've ever worked for has never had the exact same experience as me or close to the same experience as me. And so they don't have a good idea of like what you're capable of, some of the, the reasoning, the why behind why you're doing something a specific way or what your aim is by doing X, Y, and Z. Um, and so I think that's a really interesting perspective too, because you're still like, I'm trying to set a boundary and, and keep my power by giving you power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's fucked up, frankly, <laughs> you know, like it's just a really, uh, we're not going to get there and find and have this equity, um, if we're not able to use our voices to speak and, um, advocate for ourselves or, or others. And I, I think that that's something that really needs to be addressed because there's, there's definitely a give and take right with everything. Um, but what does that give and take really entail and is it right? And should we address it? Yeah. I think yeah, and how do you articulate that with confidence? I mean, one of the things that as a boundary person, I I often find myself saying, I'm not in a position to make that a priority right now. Mm-hmm. And and then that puts the power play back a little bit to equilibrium. Because then someone can say to me, oh, well, this is more important. You doing this is more important than you doing that when it comes to clients. And because I'm a consultant and a business owner, I'm in control of a lot of those things, but Hey, I'm not in a position to make that a priority right now, unless you're prepared to adjust some of the other things that we have in the planner and the budget. And that takes Mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of experience and confidence to be able to say, I, yes, I want to take this on because I know it's important and I want to do it. And how am I supposed to do this given the other things that are going on? And that's, it, it takes, yeah. Although I would sounds glib, but it's not easy. I wouldn't recommend anybody entering the profession who works as an employee in an organization to say, I'm not in a position to make this a priority because I could like, I just can't imagine how that depends on what it is though. Right. It, It speaks to, it speaks to the importance of, you know, to, to correct the power imbalance in an organization between employee and employer. I think it is incumbent on the leadership within the organization to create safe spaces. Yes. No. Yes. If there is a safe space within the organization and people really truly feel like they can um, have these conversations, then, then the power imbalance can be um, equalized. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And when we're talking about creating these safe spaces, we're really, again, these um, people that are typically in power are not experiencing some of these things because there's not that dynamic and they get to make the decision on what is a safe space Mm -hmm. and it's not collaborative and there's no equity there because they're doing what's good for them and not, not allocating resources, whatever that may be, time, space, money, of course, we're always talking about money, but um, 
you have to allocate those resources to people that need them. And when you have people that don't have that experience or are calling in people to have diversity of thought in this discussion, then you're going to still have this power imbalance. And I think it's something that we really need to speak about at the leadership level and again, feel safe speaking about, but and then you're causing more, I love what you're saying, Amanda, because then you're causing more harm. And this is Kimberly and I are going to talk about resilience in a future podcast, because I think there is this, it's like a, like a rope that never ends. How long is this piece of thread? How deep is the ocean? If, if you're, if you're in a position where you have to say, I can't do this and this is not conscionable anymore, then you become a part of the system in which you're saying, I guess I could just do it and I'll do it this one time and I'll make it work. But the harm stays with you as the person who's being impacted. And the expectation is, oh, just get more resilient, be tougher, understand that the charitable sector is hard. Well, that's a yes and no. Yeah. Because it doesn't, I mean, the harm shouldn't be burdened by the people who are impacted the most. Absolutely. And and so I think, you know, when we talk about how do we how do we balance the power, I I tend to say that diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is zero, is not a zero sum game. Like we can all, we can all reap the, the bounty of what this will look like, Mm -hmm. but in reality, you do have to give up a little bit of your power and privilege in order to create this equity and a balance because that that's all, that's all equity is. It's a balance. Like how do we tip the scales so that they're more equal and, Um, I don't, I tell my daughter this all the time. Like, I know that the fruits of my labor in all of the work that I'm doing across the board, I will never see the fruits of my, of my labor in my lifetime, Mm -hmm. but it's not about me. You waiting to be rescued, Amanda? I'm just letting you sit with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's, it's something that at this point in time, I'm, it's something that I'm dealing with. And I think that that's why it was such a relevant topic for me to bring up and speak on. Mm -hmm. And it feels untenable to continue to fight, to get what you need. But because we're women, we have to be resilient. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember, we'll make it better. Mm-hmm. And hope that we can set the example and lead so that we do reach that. And our daughters, our children are in a better space and more advanced than we are right now. And we can lean on each other while we do all of that work. Just like yeah, absolutely. Did, and their mothers did and our daughters will do and, and we'll do together. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of this so openly. And I mean, 
I was going to say intelligently, but I'm <laughs> one of the smartest people that I know. So it's sounds, oh. but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much again for the opportunity to, to connect and to have that safe space because, you know, we talk about what is the purpose of women in the hub. And it really is to create this safe community where we are talking about and exploring and challenging respectfully what it looks like to work towards impact for good. Well, as Jen pointed out, the power dynamic in the philanthropic sector is layered sideways and up and down. It's complicated. So we hope that today's episode has inspired you to consider the power and privilege you carry and how it may show up in your organization and in your life. And as always, we do hope that you will share, like, subscribe, and review this podcast. Let's keep building community through candid conversation. Thank you for spending time with me.